0: The Mistletoe Margarita, The Scrooge Driver, The North Pole Punch. The holidays call for cocktails, so get everything you'll need for them delivered with Drizzly, the go-to app for drink delivery. So what's it gonna be? Classics like Bullet Bourbon, Don Julio Reposado, or Kettle One, or maybe something new. Find it all on Drizzly where you can get beer, wine, and spirits delivered for any holiday festivity. Download the Drizzly app or go to drizzly.com. That's d-r-i-z-l-y.com today. Must be 21+, plus. not available in all locations.
1: Our co-host Bob Phelan is out this week, so Nick and I will be on the show tonight to get into some of the latest news surrounding the Orioles. We'll look ahead to Sunday's MLB draft, give our final thoughts on some of the players that the Orioles could target with the 17th overall pick, and while we're at it, we'll look back at last year's draft class and look at how those players are performing roughly a year after they were drafted. We'll have that and more on tonight's show, but first, we've got to start off by welcoming a new member to our Patreon community, and with that, I'll turn it over to Nick.
2: Yeah, we had one new patron this week, uh, Keith Gillies, that that last name uh, definitely sounds familiar. But uh, welcome, Keith, signed up for the year at the AA level. So just five bucks a month, get you in at the AA level, sign up for the year, get you a nice little discount. Definitely uh, check out patreon.com slash on the verge. Check it out. Check out all the perks. Join the pretty active uh, WhatsApp group. I think a lot of our current patrons will tell you. That's uh, probably one of the biggest perks. You get the conversations that go on in there. Lots of good times. So, uh, yeah, check it out and hopefully uh, see some more people in there soon.
1: And a programming note for those who are patrons or are thinking about becoming patrons tonight. After Nick and I record this show, we're going to do our top 50 update for the month of July, which is exclusive to patrons. If you sign up at the 5 and $10 levels, you will have access to that right after it is recorded. So you're not going to want to miss that. We're going to start off tonight, so by congratulating the four representatives from the Orioles who will be in next week's All-Star Game in Seattle. Adley, Rutzman and Felix Bautista make the game as was expected, and they will be joined by reliever, reliever Yenior Cano and outfielder Austin Hayes. And it is such, first of all, congratulations to all four of them. Very deserving uh, choices for this year's All-Star Game. But when you look at this group and you look at the three in Bautista, Cano, And Hayes, this was not something that was, I think, obvious to anybody, that this would be on the horizon for these players because Bautista had issues with command throughout his minor league career. Cano had really struggled in the major leagues up until this year in the limited opportunities he had gotten and had struggled with command during his time in the minor leagues. And Austin Hayes, if you've been following the Orioles in recent years, you know his whole story. Struggled to stay healthy. Last year had a healthy season, had a strong first half, but then bottomed out in the second half. But he has made really noticeable adjustments this year, hitting the ball harder than he ever has before, has been one of the best hitters in the American League in terms of batting average, and a very worthy selection for this year's All-Star Game. And Adley Rutzman, he has lived up to the hype and more since uh, joining the Orioles last May. So, Nick, just uh, give us your thoughts on this group. It's quite the eclectic uh
2: Group here, Adelaide, the slam dunk 1-1, one, one, kind of the man who kicked off this entire rebuild. Clearly the right decision there. Um, good to see him going back kind of quote-unquote home uh, out there, at least to the West Coast. So good for him. Shout out to him, too, for uh, today and it being announced that he's going to participate in the Home Run Derby. I honestly think the Home Run Derby, I don't know if this is a hot take or not, uh, not to be Debbie Downer here, but I think the Home Run Derby is one of the more boring events in sports, in my opinion. I just I find no pleasure in it whatsoever. But I am going to be glued uh, watching Adley Regiment. I will admit that. So I'm going to be excited this year about the the home run derby. But, yeah, Cano, I mean, you figured he was like the fourth guy this throw-in in the you know, Jorge Lopez deal with Minnesota. And he was not good in the big leagues last year. 16 walks and 18 innings, an ERA of like 11 and a half, and now he is an all-star. Uh, Felix Batista, 26 years old. At 26 years old he was still in a ball he was in high a ball walking six guys per nine innings uh, and now he is a major league all-star and arguably the league's top closer uh you feel pretty confident when felix Batista gets out there even when felix Batista was struggling earlier and going through a little bit of a slump there he was still dominant i think he's on pace to shatter uh, some strikeout records here in the major leagues unbelievable group austin hayes i think a lot of people were ready to just <laughs> get rid of him, be done with the Austin Hayes uh, experiment, myself included. I I believe I did apologize last week, but um, it's good to see him rewarded. One of the American League's best hitters uh, this year. So good to see these guys get rewarded and a team
1: certainly on the rise
2: Four all-stars this year is uh, nothing to scoff at here for the Orioles.
1: Completely agree. And I think that, you know, all four selections made me happy, but I think Cano might have made me the happiest because he was so clearly deserving, but the, up until it was announced uh, Sunday afternoon, I didn't think he was going to make it just because it's like so much of this is hints on reputation. No one saw this success coming. He's not the closer. By the time you fill in the pitching staff with starters who aren't going to be starting the game, and then you're one or two true closers, which you know, I knew one of them was going to be Batista or I had a good feeling that it would be, I didn't know that there was going to be room for Cano. So that was such a pleasant surprise to see that
2: and also just because cano like even after the deal and he started pitching more in norfolk and even after the disastrous outings he had in baltimore we were still on here saying like look the stuff is just it's nasty it's really good if he can just throw strikes and limit those walks he's going to be an asset to the orioles i never assumed in a million years that he would be an all-star but i thought he would be at least serviceable this year for the orioles and you had so many people like guys on the 40 man, he can go. He's one of the first guys you can cut off the 40 man roster if you need the spot. I did not want to see that happen because if you watched him in Norfolk, you saw just how elite that stuff was. And to see him put it all together, it was absolutely amazing. Shout out to him. I don't, again, I hope this magic continues to run for a long time because. I don't know if you're going to find a more uh, entertaining duo in baseball than Cano
1: and and Batista in the back end of this bullpen. Not to mention maybe two of the best uh, walk-up introductions for relievers in baseball Mm -hmm. right now in Cano and Batista. We'll talk now about some players who could be Orioles um, after Sunday's draft as that is approaching quickly here. We had a little bit of a preview last week, but because this is our last show before the draft on Sunday, Nick and I thought it would be a good time to take a little bit deeper dive into the players that we have on our radar. So what we did was we jotted down a list of three names uh, for each of us, and we're going to talk about those players, kind of weigh their pros and cons, why they could be fit for the Orioles, whether they may realistically fall to the 17th pick, and then we'll talk a little bit after that about what the overriding strategy could be for the Orioles this year and whether or not. It's going to be another draft that is hitter heavy, or if they go with a few more arms with the early picks and whether or not they possibly cut a deal somewhere uh, early in the draft to find a player who has fallen because a sign uh, signing bonus demands. Now, the Orioles do have five of the first 100 picks, including that 17th overall pick in the draft. So we'll start off right there with that first pick, and we'll each name a player, and I'll start with Nick, who's got – Three bats that he's got his eye on.
2: Yeah, let's start with uh, my top choice. And I told myself going into all of this that there's pick 17. There's 30 different avenues the Orioles could go down. I think Brad Selig, uh gave an interview there to the beat writers, a pool of reporters in Baltimore, and said there's 20 to 22 names on the Orioles list right now. They can't dictate their own strategy this year, right? The, the 16 teams ahead of them are going to, Push them in in certain directions, but the name at the top of my list that I am getting more and more excited about, and I am going to be disappointed if he gets selected before 17, which seems very likely. But it's a uh, shortstop, Arjun Namala, Strawberry Crest High School out of Florida. There's talk about him going in the top 10. I think that makes a lot of sense. I think only Baseball America's latest mock draft has him falling past the Orioles. I wonder if he's going to move up. When they I'm sure they'll put out another mock at some point this week before uh, round one starts on Sunday, but I think they have him down like 23 to the Guardians, but I don't see much of a chance he falls past out of the top 10, but I'm holding out a sliver of hope that he does. I know Kylie McDaniel noted uh that him and Michaelias watched Namala together recently. And you know, they're swinging misconcerns concerns a little bit. There might be a few questions about the hit tool, but it's the raw power with a lot of these public scouting reports. Pegging him for 30, 35 plus home run potential in the major leagues. You're talking like 70 plus grade raw power. He's also extremely young, Even for, not just because he's a high school pick, but he's only going to be 17 on draft day. And so I, I know that Kylie McDaniel had a great, um, an extra article written specifically about Namala and talking about how you know, his cricket background, because his family is from India, so a lot of traveling from Florida to India when he was younger and had the cricket background translating to baseball success, but also noted that, you know, Namala hasn't really performed fantastically against kind of the more elite competition that he faced down here in Florida. But because he's so young, he's already facing guys much older than him and the tools and all the batted ball data and everything else really stick out for Namala. And uh, uh, the big selling point here is the age. And Kylie noted in that article something that I know Stephen Loftus talked about all the time when he was our amazing draft analyst before the Atlanta Braves hit the jackpot, but talking about how being young for the class is one of the strongest indicators of future success for high school position players. And so Namala being the youngest guy, Orioles being a model-driven team, Namala just seems to fit, you check a lot of the boxes here. Um, so I, I like this. And more importantly, I think, Based on Kylie's article, it seems like on the 20 to 80 scale, like Namala breaks it in terms of like his mindset, and his attitude and everything between the ears. So like I get more and more jacked up watching the videos, reading everything I can about him. I really hope he falls past uh, pick 16 there. If he's there at 17, I think slam dunk. He is the pick for the Orioles.
1: The closer we get to the draft, the more I like this possibility that it's going to be Namala. the because for all the reasons you mentioned, he checks off basically every box that the Orioles have when it comes to high school hitters. Young, kind of a fast riser, strong, can hit for power, plays up the middle now, but if he does have to move off a shortstop, should project nicely for third base. I think this makes a lot of sense for those reasons. I do wonder, though, where he's going to fall. And what I think is going to be interesting is that if you look at maybe the first five, the five pictures so leading up to the Orioles, Uh, Joe Doyle, for instance, in his most recent mock draft, or actually his uh, mock draft he put out a couple weeks ago, had Namala going to the Giants at 16, one ahead of the Orioles. We also have the Red Sox picking at 14. They have a little bit of a track record of going for high school bats. I think he could also make a lot of sense to Arizona at 12. So there are a lot of teams in that mix that could take Namala. But I agree with you. If he's there at 17, he's got to be at the top of the board for the Orioles.
2: Yeah, I think he is. Um, It seems like this high school, this draft class in particular, the high school class is very, very deep. And if you can hit a home run here at pick 17 with Namala, and then maybe, you know, the second round pick, you can go, I don't know, the the college route, maybe more of a senior sign guy. I, I don't know. There's Joe throughout the name, you know, Mitch Jeb as a possible pick, the Michigan State shortstop as a possible underslot uh, pick there at 17. So the Orioles can go in on some more high school picks later on. But I think you grab Namala here at 17. Maybe he falls. I I don't know anything about the financial aspects of all of this, but I imagine you're, you're not going to be paying him over slot, I wouldn't think, if he falls down to 17. And so the Orioles don't have a loaded uh, war chest of money here this year in the draft, but they did get that extra comp pick, I believe, in the third round. So they added about, I think it was a little over a million dollars uh, to their signing bonus pool this year, but they've got a little bit of extra money. You can go after a guy like Namala, and then still I think you can be aggressive with your second or third round pick uh, with another high school uh, elite kind of high ceiling guy. So, yeah, I'm, I'm trying to back down a little bit just cause I don't want to be disappointed when he goes like pick number eight or something, but yeah, Namal is my guy here.
1: I'm going to go with the first name on my board. And that is a right-handed pitcher who is getting a lot of tracks into the Orioles in mock drafts. And that is Hurston Waldrop out of Florida. MLB pipeline gives Waldrop's fastball a grade 65. And notes that it runs in a 90, range of 95 to 99. And he has also paired that with a slider as well as a splitter. The big thing, I think, for Waldrip is going to be whether or not the command Irons itself out enough that he could be in the starting rotation. But this also is a pitcher who I think has some of the traits that the Orioles like. He's got a fastball. it has got some velocity. He's got a little bit of that upward movement that we know the Orioles really target in pitchers. So what I wonder is you could take a guy like Waldrop, who's coming from a major division one program, just pits in the college world series. So seemingly could be someone that gets to the major leagues quickly. And you do the things that the Orioles are known to do. They can teach somebody a sweeper. They can teach somebody a changeup. If a changeup doesn't work, they can swap that out for another pitch as they're doing with Chase McDermott right now in Bowie. So I have my doubts despite some recent mock drafts, including Kylie McDaniel at ESPN and MLB Pipeline, that Waldrip is going to fall to 17. But it's worth noting that both of them had Waldrip mock the Orioles in their most recent mock drafts. So the possibility of him being the pick seems to be gaining traction, at least nationally. And I have to wonder if after years of going for hitters with their first overall selection under Mike Elias, is Waldrip the guy who changes things up because the Orioles have built a strong farm system on hitters. They have the opportunity to pick up more bats with the next four picks. Do they go with Waldrip? And I, to be clear, I don't think that they should draft based on proximity to the majors or by, well, we're a little thin in right-handed pitching, so we're heavy in short stops. So we'll take the right-handed pitcher, even if there's a better shortstop stop available. I'm generally not in favor of that strategy, but Waldrip could be the kind of guy that if he falls to 17 becomes a Potential rotation piece for you in the major leagues and possibly sooner rather than later. Yeah,
2: this one, I feel like this is the pick that causes uh, the most conversations. I feel like one because MLB pipeline, like you mentioned, is pretty heavy on locking Waltrip to the Orioles. I like it. I just think from a conversation standpoint, like the Orioles are not opposed to taking pictures. Despite what so many people believe and the first comment, whenever the Orioles get mocked to Waldrop, the Orioles are not opposed. It's just, that's not how the board has fallen right now. I'm 100, also 100% fine with creating this just insanely deep farm system of hitting prospects because the Orioles have proven that their development works, their development plan with hitters works. And so using that pool of talent to trade for proven major league pitching, you're taking a lot of that risk there's more risk i think associated with pitching prospects so you're you're taking that risk out of the equation when you're going hit or heavy and trade for the pitching and we haven't seen them trade for the pitching yet except like we won't talk about call Irving. but like maybe you produce a stud every once in a while like maybe zach showalter who we'll talk about later on is you know that stud in this group right now but you know you don't have to invest a lot of draft capital in a pitcher uh doing it in wall i think would make a lot of sense though i don't see the orioles like if. Chase Davis or Brayden Taylor or Namala, like if these guys are there, I think it'd be a really interesting conversation. Of do you go Waldrop? If they go with Waldrop, it's not because the Orioles are thin at pitching. And you know, Brad like, and you know other analysts are sitting there saying like, "Hey, we're thin at pitching. We need to go with a uh, Waldrop here for that reason." That's not going to be the reason. It's going to be like shout out to again Joe Doral. I think we're going to mention his name a lot here because he puts out fantastic work. Joe is, he's not the the only one here. I've seen a lot of other people as well say like Waldrip's stuff matches up pretty well with a guy like Paul Skeens. And if you put Waldrip in the Orioles player development system, that this could be a really positive marriage here. And they could develop in Waldrip into a top of the rotation arm. I think Waldrip's a pretty polarizing prospect just as a whole, like not just among Orioles being a pitcher, but I think just as a whole, some people view him more as a reliever. Some people think he could be a starter. Some people think he may be the best pitching prospect in this draft class. But I think regardless, he had such a massive postseason run that I almost feel like this is just straight gut. But I think that every year some team gets bold in like the first 10. We saw it last year. I can't remember who it was and who they picked. I feel like Rangers going Kamar Rocker, for example. Like somebody's going to get really bold. And I could see Waldrop being like that – Top seven, eight pick that range. Someone get really bold and saying we're buying the hype right now. We believe in the stuff. We think he's going to be a, a number one, number two for us in two, or three years. We're going to pull the trigger. And he's not going to be there for the Orioles, but he fits the bill.
1: Yeah, you're absolutely right. This is an opportunity where someone could go bold. And as I'm looking at the board in front of the Orioles, I'm looking at the board towards the back part of the top ten. I could see a scenario where the Reds pick Waldrop at seven. I could see a scenario where the Rockies pick him at nine. So there is a possibility he does not make it out of the top ten. So I'm not really heavily banking on Waldrop as the Orioles pick for that reason, but it's still interesting to think about.
2: I do like it. God forbid that would quiet so many people. Finally, the Orioles take a pitcher in the first round. Um, I guess I'll go to my number two here. What do I want to go with? I'm going to save my next favorite for last and I'm going to go a safe bet here. A guy I've talked about a lot already, but I'm going to go Braden Taylor again, TCU third baseman, lefty hitter, just 21 years old. So again, one of the younger college prospects in this draft, also a guy with a lot of helium, recent helium, who I think according to some reports you see out there saying his carrying tool are his swing decisions. Um, So again, a lot of, Check boxes there for the Orioles. I know he's been referred to as an analytical darling. It's the Orioles being analytically driven, model heavy team with the draft. Taylor definitely fits that bill there. I've seen him kind of mocked all over the place, sometimes in the top 10, sometimes late in the first round, uh, like late 20s. He's kind of been all over the place, but I think he had such a strong conference tournament, kind of NCAA tournament run there that he's slowly like, shooting up boards. Um, I know. I think a future star series, Joe Dor had him mock there. Uh, I want to say Baseball America had him mock there. Two or three mock drafts have had Braden Taylor at some point in the last couple of weeks, had him mock to the Orioles. Uh, I just think he checks a lot of boxes here, and if the top high school talents are off the board and you want to play it a little bit safer, Taylor would be a good pick. That's the lefty power bat. You look at his numbers at TCU this season, he hit 314, had a 439 on base percentage. 23 home runs and almost as many walks as strikeouts uh, 56 walks to um, you know, 56 strikeouts to 52 walks so I mean Carlos Colzzo shout out him at baseball America he had a couple of really good articles in the last couple of weeks as well kind of highlighting some some of the underlying data with some of these uh, hitting prospects in the draft and you know he talked about how Taylor's 90th percentile EV rates, exit velocity rates, jumped from 100.9 miles per hour to 104.8 miles per hour this year, which is the fourth highest gain in college baseball. The contact rates did take a dip. The strikeouts did go up a little bit, but he maintained a really impressive walk rate this year at TCU. And so I think that power surge could be really attractive to the Orioles if he can maintain that. I think the contact rates, you can improve on that. You can teach that. You can't teach power, but you can teach. The contact rates, you can live with a few extra strikeouts. I just get, I've said this before, reiterate it. I just get like Colton Kowser vibes here. Like he's teetering on this. Do you really lean into that hit tool and him being like a a number one, number two hitter at your lineup who gets on base at a really high clip and only hits 10 to 15 home runs a year? Or do you kind of go into that power a little bit more and try to get a 25 plus home run bat who maybe strikes out a little bit more than you want, but he's still going to get on base at a good clip. Um, and just he's got that TCU connection, like build that TCU pipeline. You had Johnny Reiser back in 2019, uh, Creed Willems and Carter Baumler were TCU commits. So like, I know this has nothing to do with his talent, but it's just fun little notes that I, I like to look at. I think are interesting. You got the Orioles like to, it seems to really concentrate their talent, like the Oklahoma state Tulsa connections, for example, in the last few years under Mike Elias. Uh, why not build out that uh, TCU pipeline down here in Baltimore?
1: Taylor is a bat that I really like because it feels like you said there's a perfect balance there where they could either work with him as more of a contact oriented guy that maybe tops out about 10 to 15 homers a year or try to get a little bit more power out of him. And it's been interesting to see the development of some of the hitters that are already in the system. Judd Fabian, who we're going to talk about a little bit later on, is having a good year. I think Keston Kerstad has not been the three true outcomes hitter that a lot of people were predicting he would be when he was drafted out of Arkansas. And after going through a lot of ups and downs last year, Colton Couser is striking the right balance of hitting for contact, hitting for power, drawing walks, and not striking out a high rate at Norfolk this year. That's not an easy balance to pull off, but Kalzer has been doing it. So I look at a guy like Taylor and feel like he could be a good fit for the Orioles. It is interesting, though, to see where he's being mocked, because you just said he's being mocked everywhere. Um, MLB pipeline and ESPN in their most recent mock drafts have him going six to the A's yet Joe Doyle has him going all the way down at 22nd to Seattle. So a really wide range of outcomes right now for where Taylor could fall in this draft. And it's hard for me to look at that and know, okay, is he going to be on the board at 17 or will he have gone 10, 11 picks before that?
2: Yeah, it's, It's these guys who, if you're really buying into that late season performance and you're really buying into the power, then yeah, I imagine he kind of shoots up your board and he could be a top 10 guy, but maybe if you're not as sold on the power, you know, or you're seeing other options there, then maybe he is a guy who does fall. But I think just for who he is, he checks a lot of the boxes for the Orioles if they're going to go college out. He's not my favorite. He was a month ago, but he's not my favorite college option if they go college hitter right now. But I'm not going to be disappointed at all if uh, Taylor ends up being the pick here.
1: I'll go with my next guy here. And I've got another high school infielder, and that is Aiden Miller, a third baseman out of JW Mitchell in Florida. This is a player who in a lot of ways screams Orioles prospects. Third baseman can hit the ball hard, has a strong arm. Think about somebody like a Kobe Mayo and not making a comparison, but some of the underlying traits between those two guys are pretty similar to each other. And if you look at where he's being mocked right now, Joe Doyle has him going 19th to the Braves in his current mock draft. So it does feel like Miller could be the target. He's been set back a little bit by injury, so we haven't seen him as much this year. But if you look at the fact he's got 60-grade power, according to MLB Pipeline, 60-grade arm to go with a 50-run tool and a 50-hit tool, there's some good traits there that you could work with He's 19 now. He'll be 20 next June. So this could be the kind of guy that you draft. You have him start next year in Del Marva. And if he starts to hit a little bit, maybe you see him in Aberdeen. So if Miller is around at 17, I wouldn't be shocked if he's the pick just for the reasons I mentioned, which is that he does fit the Orioles model. I think he comes with a little bit of a risk because some outlets, including Fangraphs, note that he has a swing that needs to be cleaned up a little bit. But I trust that the Orioles can do that, and I think that if they believe in the power, they believe his ability to stick at third base, they will take their chances with the swing.
2: I mean, just so much. You, like you mentioned, the third baseman, big power. He's a physical specimen. I, I think you know some people don't think there's a lot of you know physical projection left there with Miller, but if you clean up the swing. You keep the swing and miss low. You keep leaning into that power. You've got a third baseman with a cannon of an arm uh with a imagine kobe mayo with like a less violent swing and i say that's a bad thing that kobe Mayo has a violent swing because it's working tremendously well right now but i feel like just some of the videos i've seen of aiden miller he's a little bit maybe more compact but there are definitely a lot of kobe mayo vibes there with aiden miller and that's with that arm being so strong if he's athletic enough to move into the outfield that's an option there you have with him as he kind of gets older I do think he is one of the older high school prospects. So I wonder how much that hurts him. But also you mentioned the injury and he didn't really get to play as much this year, his senior year. I almost wonder. And again, I don't know anything about the financial side of this and the financial side of this is probably arguably the most important of this because it dictates how you handle those first 10 rounds of the draft. But I almost wonder if, He falls down to 17, which I don't even know if 17 is a big fall for Miller. But if he's there at 17, is there any possibility that the Orioles say, hey, like, you're going to keep falling. If we don't take you here, you're going to keep falling because of the injury. So maybe they can cut a little bit of a deal with Miller. I don't know. if He's got the leverage. He's a high school kid. He can just go to college. So he's still got the leverage. But maybe they could say, hey, like, let's get a little bit of a discount here with Miller. You still got a guy who is potentially like a top 10 talent. You're getting him at 17. He's got all the ceiling in the world. You're getting him in the system and you get to save a little bit of money to play around and go get another high ceiling high school kid who falls in the second round. Um, Again, that's just me spitballing, pure speculation. I have no idea. But if that is the case and that's how it plays out, that could be a pretty cool situation that plays out there for the Orioles.
1: It's just wow, he just has such loud tools with the power and the arm that I feel like if he's in the mix, he's got to be a choice. And especially because if the financial component, as you mentioned, favors the Orioles taking him, they could do that.
2: I like it, and it's power like that's the first thing you want to look for here. It power is definitely a major selling point here, uh, for the girls because again, you can teach us swing decisions. Uh guys struggle with you know breaking balls, you can teach that, but the power, that raw power, it's a lot harder to teach. Uh and so if you already bring that into the organization, and I think Eve Rosenbaum even touched on that uh, when you guys talked to her a little bit in that interview. So that definitely uh perked my ears up a little bit. But I'm gonna go to my favorite college hitter. And i I do think it is going to be if the high school, if there's a run on high school kids early on, I, I almost I conflicted about where they go like do you go with I hate saying safe but we'll say higher floor maybe uh the Braden Taylors or by next I hear that I want to highlight Chase Davis who's becoming my favorite among the college hitters or do you go as Joe Doyle has mentioned there are whispers that the Orioles really love Mitch Jeb out of Michigan State he's kind of he's not a power hitter he's a lefty more slappy type hitter who's going to get on base at a high clip he's not going to strike out a whole lot he had some ridiculous strikeout to walk numbers uh, at Michigan State but you do you cut a deal there with him save a bunch of money in the first round or do you go with you know a guy like maybe even like a Colton Ledbetter at Mississippi State I know when we first started talking about the draft Ledbetter was mocked to the Orioles a couple of times but I like Chase Davis a lot because again he's younger 21 years old left-hander left-handed hitting outfielder who's coming off a 21 home run season there at Arizona more walks and strikeouts. 43 walks to 40 strikeouts. And the kicker for me is that his 2022 strikeout rate was about 23%. He dropped that to 14% this year, but maintained a 15, 16% walk rate. So he cut down on the strikeouts, kept his walk rate the same, and he increased his max EV as well. He's got a 115.6 max EV, 90th percentile exit velocity of 110.6 miles per hour. Again, Joe kind of mentioned... Entering the season, there were major questions about his hit tool, but he saw his contact rate spike by 10% this year. And so he's one of the more premier hitters in the country in terms of chase rate, swing and miss rate, and exit velos. Uh, I'm trying to find that Jeff Ponce at Baseball America, I think just yesterday, had a great tweet uh, noting that since 2018, there are only three college hitters with a 90th percentile EV over 108 miles per hour and a strikeout to walk ratio under one. And Chase Davis was one of those hitters. So I feel like some of the reports kind of mentioned maybe some possible swing and miss concerns there with Davis as he gets faces more advanced pitching. But if that's the big concern here, like put him on the Judd Fabian development path and let this kid cook in Baltimore.
1: Yeah, if there is a run on high school hitters early on, I have to feel like Davis becomes a more realistic option for the Orioles. I was looking at Fangraph's report here, and it notes that he is at a hitter-friendly in a hitter-friendly environment in Arizona. Eric Longhagen also said that 12, Pac-12 pitching isn't that good right now, but he also says here that uh, Davis is quote much more talented than a lot of recent U of A draftees and is likely to get enough power to at least be the larger half of a corner platoon. What's this a good value at a 17th pick? I feel like if you have that, especially if you pair that with the good walk to strikeout numbers. And I think that's going to be the key for Davis is can he get into pro ball and maintain that against better pitching. And Jud Fabian is a good illustration right now. Of some of the things that the Orioles can do with guys who have swing and miss concerns coming out of college. Yes. I know Fabian's only in double a right now. We can't call that a success story yet, but he tore through Aberdeen at a rate that I don't think a lot of people saw coming. So You take a guy like Davis who has actually been rising a little bit this year and you put him in the Orioles player development system. I think that they can do some good work with him.
2: Yeah. You see some mock drafts too. I don't know about MLB pipelines, the latest one. I don't have that one pulled up if he's in their first round, but I know I think they've been pumping him out pretty uh, consistently here, but I know at some point in the last couple of weeks, like chase Davis wasn't even in their first round conversation. And so you got some mocks leaving him out completely the first round, but I feel like, I don't know, the, the quote unquote underground, like the the Twitterverse. I feel like Chase Davis is a very hot name right now as, over the last couple of weeks, which obviously he's not getting like, you know, major league franchises aren't overlooking this kid, but I just feel like he's going to be a name who pops up a lot earlier in the first round than some people are maybe expecting. And I, again, Just for whatever reason, I truly believe that you look back five years from now at this first round of the draft, wherever Chase Davis gets selected, whether it's Baltimore, whether it's somewhere else, I just get a sense that Chase Davis is a really good option of being one of those guys who you look back five years later and you're like, man, that team got a value with where they got Davis at. I I don't know what it is. Maybe it's all the recent hype and I'm buying way too much into it, but he's becoming, if, if it's a college bat, I think Chase Davis is definitely number one on my list right now.
1: So let's uh, quickly round that up with Davis. I think he is kind of an interesting case study in some of these more recent mock drafts. MLB Pipeline, their June 29th mock draft, which was the most recent I could find as we were getting ready for the show earlier today, had him going 27th to the Phillies. Joe Doyle has him going 20th to the Blue Jays. Uh, MLB Pipeline, meanwhile, or excuse me, ESPN has him going 23rd to the guardians Keith law in his most recent mock drafts, which was on June 29th did not have him in the first round, but noted that he has heard that he's connected to the Padres at 25th.
2: All right. So yeah, again, that's, that's why I get the sense that I think I said this when I recorded the the weekend episode a a couple of weeks ago and and just went draft heavy there, that Davis is going to be a pit cool. You're watching the broadcast. Maybe it doesn't get a lot of love initially. You see MLB Pipeline put out thirty minutes after the first round is over their round one draft grade articles because grading the MLB draft thirty minutes after it's over is always a great idea. Um, And you know the Orioles get like a C, right? There's potential with Davis, but you know they reached on him. They they passed up so many other talented players that they could have grabbed here. But again hop on Twitter and you're going to see kind of even more knowledgeable minds sit there and be like I love this pick so much I mean I've seen some people kind of say the underlying batted ball data data he matches up there with Dylan Cruz and uh Wyatt Langford guys who are going to go like one two one three like they're gonna be top three top four picks uh and Chase Davis's uh, batted ball data matches up kind of pound for pound with those two guys so that's kind of what's selling me a little bit harder on Davis there
1: I'll go to my last guy now, and this is someone that has been getting a lot of hype going into the draft, not necessarily because he's a top prospect, but because he may have the most unique profile, and that is Bryce Eldridge, a two-way player who is in high school right now in Virginia. Eldridge is currently uh, listed at 6'7", 223 pounds, bats left, throws right. MLB Pipeline, their scouting grades give him a 55 fastball, 55 slider 50 chains up, and 50 control. The fastball, they know, can ride 95 to 96, and he has a very effective slider that goes in the low 80s and the chance to have his chains up improve. Meanwhile, he currently grades at 50-grade power to go as a 50-grade hit tool. So this is someone who has a very interesting two-way profile and is young. Uh, Right now, he's 18 years old, born on October 20th, 2004, so he'll be 19 in his first full season next year. Where I sort of struggle with Eldridge, and I'm curious to get your thoughts on this, because some earlier mock drafts that came out maybe about a month ago did have the Orioles taking Eldridge. And although that seems to be cooling a little bit, there are still whispers that he could be the pick. You'll see some mock drafts note that the Orioles might look at him, even if they don't project him going there. What I question with Eldridge is that you have someone his size. If the two-way profile doesn't work out, can you live with the fact that you took a first baseman in the first round out of high school? Now, there are some scouting reports that suggest that he could play right field because of that arm, and he is athletic. I just wonder, are you going to do that if he's been pitching for two or three years and it doesn't work out? Does the more you know, expedient thing and the easier thing and perhaps a better thing to do for his arm long-term is to put him at first base. And that's where I really struggle with Eldritch. but someone's gonna take him in the first round and someone's gonna have a really interesting prospect in their hands and a guy who could become one of the top prospects in the game in a few years. But there is a risk factor there if you are gonna go the two-way approach. Yeah, you nailed it uh, with that point there.
2: For whatever reason, he also just screams Yankees pick. So maybe I will feel better if the Orioles can grab him and turn him into something. But I don't know why he screams Yankees to me. But I, I, I love that point you made there. I love the pick if it is him. I love the Virginia connection. Obviously, I, I know his coach down there uh, in at James Madison High School. He's a fantastic coach. So you got no character concerns there with this kid at all. I know he's kind of been dubbed this American Otani which that's a lot of a lot of pressure a lot of hype on on this high school kid but it sounds enticing we know the orioles love their tall pitchers in particular you mentioned he's six, seven. Three pitches that and control that all grayed out i think at 50 or higher fastball touches 97 yeah he's a right-handed pitcher but he's a left-handed hitter like you mentioned as well with incredible raw power if he's the pick i'm celebrating it like let's get crazy let's watch some tanks fly in salisbury next year but I i don't know. Obviously, the Orioles aren't going to come out and say this. but And I imagine because they took Nolan McLean last year, and I believe they said, I can't remember exactly, but I'm pretty sure they mentioned after taking McLean that they were going to let him hit and pitch, at least initially. I don't remember. But if you're going to let Nolan McClain do it, like why not go the high school route, the kid who has an even higher upside? And he's got that kind of same raw power, but from the left side. Why not let him try it? But at the same time, like I think MLB.com had an article, an interview with him just recently, and he kind of said he's talked to some teams. Well, he's told every team that he wants to do both initially, hit and pitch. So, and some teams he's heard back from that said, "Yeah, we're not, we're not into that. We're not going to go that route." Some teams are like, "Let's do it. We're all about that." And some are kind of iffy, but they're willing to let him try. I don't know where the Orioles fall on that, but I imagine since they were going to let McLean try last year that they would let um, Eldridge try here. You also got that increased risk of injury. Like if he's pitching in Delmarva next year and he has – I don't I don't want to risk injuries on any player at any level on any team, but what if there's an injury and it, you know, it's Tommy John surgery? Now he can come back a little bit more quickly, I think, if you just say, all right, we're shutting you down from pitching. That's done. We tried it. But we need you on this field as a hitter. He can come back a little bit more quickly, returning just as a hitter from Tommy John surgery, but still you're missing a significant amount of time there due to injury. And yeah, like you mentioned, it, he even acknowledged, though, in the, in that MLB.com article that it could be a situation where he's in double A, he's hitting 330, but he's got an ERA of nine on the mound. And he understands that at some point he may have to choose. But what if you have to choose where I think most people assume he's going to end up being a hitter? If he's going to end up being a first baseman, could that kind of knock him down a few pegs for the Orioles? I would be inclined to say yes. Uh, but like I mentioned before, whenever we talk about the draft, like the Orioles, have slowly started getting a little bit more risky, I'm fine with uh let's let's get risky with this pick and uh see what happens with him. But there are definitely some some major red flags, not even red flags, just causes for concern there. Not red flags, just causes for concern with Eldridge to definitely think about.
1: Yeah, and I should note that Joe Doyle does have Eldridge mocked to the Orioles in his most recent mock drafts. But I found something in Keith Law's report interesting. He actually has him mocked right now to the Padres at 25th. I mentioned earlier about say Davis possibly being connected there. But in that article, Law projected Eldridge to the Padres and it does kind of feel like a Padres pick. I mean,
2: Padres need anything they can get. They need prospects. And yeah, that could be, I feel like, uh, with everything coming out about AJ Preller over the last couple of weeks, uh, just going super high risk, uh, go hard to go home for AJ Preller. I could definitely see him uh, going out West of San Diego.
1: Yeah. And I, um, Found this interesting as well, that MLB Pipeline actually has Eldridge going to the Braves at 24th. So a lot of drafts right now kind of have him in that late teens to mid-20s range. So he's clearly going to go in the first round. There's a good chance he's available for the Orioles. But for the reasons we mentioned, it might not be the slam dunk that it seems to be at first glance.
2: No, I I know a lot of people really want – that's a name that I've seen a lot of people – like online definitely love the Eldridge pick and I do too I just think there are a lot of things to be cautious cautious about there with him but you mentioned the Braves if he falls to the Braves and they take him then I know for a fact Stephen Loftus watched him live many times because that's close that's fairly close to his neck of the woods Um, and I'm going to be pretty disappointed uh, that the Orioles didn't take him and especially when he hits uh, for the Braves so if he goes to Atlanta I am definitely uh, kind of pounding the table there. Like what the heck guys.
1: He's in the majors for a week and he signs a 12 year contract extension, but I'm I'm not going to open that. We'll save that for another. So, um, so the Orioles, as I mentioned at the top have five of the top 100 picks in this year's draft. If you just listen to us, there is a, you got the sense that there's a good chance the Orioles could go with a pitcher this year, but that, The class stacks up as such that there's going to be a lot of hitters and a lot of hitters that fit the traits the Orioles like or have the traits that the Orioles like available there at 17. So, Nick, I guess we'll wrap up here, which is what do you see the overall strategy being in the draft this year? Mm,
0: It's
2: a million-dollar question. And you think you didn't know anything about the direction the Orioles were going to go when they had the the 1-1 pick? At 117, we're definitely clueless. But 16 other teams ahead of them, you don't know how the board is going to fall. Like if Namala is there, I want them to go Namala, and then we'll see how the rest of the draft plays out. But I'll be happy with Namala at 117. Other than that, like if he's not there, where did the Orioles go? I, as unpopular as it may be, I almost. I'm not, I'm not going to be too upset if they go the underslot route again. If it depends on how the board is falling, if they're looking at where these picks are going and they're saying, look, there's a really good chance. There are some other high school guys here that we are very high up on our boards. So let's cut the deal with a Mitch Jeb. Let's cut the deal with a Colton Ledbetter or somebody else and go after these guys and just nail high school uh, picks, you know, in the second, maybe even third round as well, or maybe the fourth round. If that's going to be their strategy, I'm fine with that. Um, and again, like there's underslots kind of become, it has this negative connotation. It is not negative. It's just you're saving money to spread those assets out around and spend that money elsewhere on higher ceiling guys. I'm fine with that. But I think the high school class is so deep and the Orioles can be more risky. You know, if, if Eldridge is there at 17, I think they're going to go Eldridge. I think that'd be a great pick for them. I could definitely see them saying, hey, let's spend the money here in the first round and uh, go the high school route. So it all depends on one through 16, though. See what those teams ahead of them do. But I don't
1: know. Yeah, that's absolutely right. I mean, when you have 16 teams picking in front of you, um, it's a lot of unknowns. And I think that we have seen the draft become harder to predict, or at least I feel it's become that way. Because more teams are going the under-slot route. More teams are going bold early on. You know, The Texas Rangers last year caused a lot of chaos by taking Kamar Rocker as early as they did. The Pirates caused some chaos the year before that by taking Henry Davis with the first pick. When a lot of people didn't think they were going to go in that direction. I remember a lot of mock drafts coming out around that time were focused on Marcelo Meyer and Jordan Lawler. And then they pick Henry Davis. So that threw things off a little bit. So I don't think this is going to happen, but it's entirely possible that the six names Nick and I mentioned uh, tonight are off the board by 17. And there's someone that we're thinking now is going to go inside the top 10 that's available to the Orioles at 17. One thing I would say is that, and I know this is really hard, but if they go under slot with the first pick, at least let the next four picks happen before you analyze what they did and try to grade it because they could very well get a player with one of those later picks that no one expected to fall. They could find someone at 53 that no one expected to fall that far. And all of a sudden their first two picks in the draft look great. My expectation for this year, just based on the way the, the class shapes right now is that it's going to be a high school bat with the first pick and that you're going to see one or two picks inside those first five that are riskier because the Orioles can afford to take those chances. Now, Noel McClain was that risk pick last year. They didn't sign him. That doesn't mean they're not going to try to go a similar strategy this year, even if it's not a two-way guy. Judd Fabian was a risk. So they can afford to take risk, and I expect them to do that somewhere inside those first five picks.
2: And a name I think I've been seeing gaining a lot of steam and the Orioles, maybe they already have a little bit of relationship there, but uh, I'm not going to be shocked. I'm going to throw out one more name for a, you know, top two, three round pick there. Uh, I would be curious to see if we see old friend Andrew Walters from Miami back again uh, as the Orioles pick Orioles took him last year without talking to him apparently before the draft, but he wanted to return to Miami to pitch with his brother and now he's starting more. I think last year was like strictly like fastball. He was like 92 or something, 90 something percent fastball his last year at Miami. Uh, he's expanded that a little bit more. He's doing some starting. So he could, that could be. We've seen the Orioles take your Alex Fams, your Daniel Lloyds, and all these guys and convert them to starters, Ryan Watson's, et cetera. Uh, maybe Andrew Walters is, is another guy like that as well. It's, I think it's going to be a lot more fun. Than the last couple of years, uh, to be honest, just because the unknown for like the diehards, I know for the more casual fans, it's not Jackson Holiday, it's not Drew Jones at one one, so it's going to be probably a little bit harder to follow along. Or maybe because of that, you're picking later in the first round. The major league team is so good, you're you're not paying attention at all to the draft. That's fine as well. But I think for the diehards here, this is going to be a lot more interesting and a lot more fun. Especially if they do go under slot, they're going to hit some home runs. I feel like later on in the draft, so. Those high school picks become even more interesting in my mind.
1: And just to note exactly how the Orioles' first five picks are going to shake out, they will have that 17th overall pick. They won't pick again until the second round when they're going to have the 53rd overall pick in the draft, but then a pretty quick turnaround to the 63rd pick, which will fall in competitive balance round B. And then they will pick again at 86, which will be a third round pick, and then they'll have a pick again there at 100 to round out or toward the end of that round. So the Orioles, five of the first 100 picks, pretty decent balance in terms of where those picks fall. But we're going to have to wait until Sunday night to see exactly what they do. We'll look now back at last year's draft class. It was about this time last year. We were trying to figure out who were the Orioles going to take that number one pick. Was it going to be Jackson Holiday? Was it going to be Drew Jones? Was it going to be Tamar Johnson? Was it going to be Brooks Lee, as everybody kept insisting it was going to be, and then it wasn't? And it turned out it was Jackson Holiday, and he's now the number one prospect in all of baseball, according to most national outlets. He has not been the only highlight out of that draft class, though. Dud Fabian has hit his way to A Bowie in his first year. Zach Sowalter has arrived on the scene and is pitching very well down in Delmarva right now. Trace Bright this is racking up very high strikeout numbers at Aberdeen where... A lot of these players are putting together seasons that at least kind of grab your attention. Maybe statistically some of them aren't off to the best starts through the first uh, two and a half months or so of this year. But you can at least look and see that there is something there. So I think we'll we'll start with Jackson Holiday and talk for a minute about what has allowed him to move up so many national outlets, prospect lists between Delmarva and Aberdeen this year. He's uh, piled up 310 plate appearances, and this was entering Monday's action, and is batting 317 with a 970 OPS, seven homers, 49 RBI. He has walked 62 times while only striking out 64. His defense at shortstop looks excellent. He has some of the best, if not the best, strike zone judgment of any hitter in the Orioles' farm system. He's only 19 years old, but it feels like he's really not that far outside the major league picture right
2: now no and i feel like he's also still pretty far uh away from like, his ceiling and i just think honestly you look at the top 100 list right now like mlb i pulled up mlb pipelines I, I just pulled them up first i panicked uh trying to find a list here i don't like using their list number one but they do have jackson holiday number one overall and that's la daily Cruz now uh jackson Cherio, marcelo meyer like those are all fa- unbelievable talents jackson Cherio did phenomenal things last year he's a 19 year old in double a already he's been in double a for a while i believe i can't pull up the stats here fast enough but yeah he's been in double a for a while already and playing fairly well at that level as a 19 year old la de la cruz we've seen what he can do in the major leagues already unbelievable talent one of my favorite non-orioles players as soon as he came up but to have Jackson holiday ranked above like both of those guys and not by just one outlet, but pretty much every single national outlet. I think that speaks volumes about what Jackson Holiday's ceiling is and just how good this guy can be um, kid. I mean, he's still only 19 years old. I, I just think that you look at what he's done. Like, he's going to end the year in double a, I think it's pretty safe to say that you see some comments like oh he's been struggling he's you know hitting these slow patches here in high a but you look overall he still has a 157 wrc plus in 54 games with the ironbirds this year he's got a 20% walk rate a 21% strikeout rate 912 ops he's a clutch hitter despite what you know the <laughs> Wilmington Blue Rocks broadcast crew who uh I don't know. We can't watch 35 Great National Prospects highlights on Twitter anymore cuz we got blocked by the Wilmington Blue Rocks uh, social media account. Uh but, you know, despite what they said about him, uh he is he's a clutch hitter, especially these last couple of weeks. I feel like late in games, he had the walk-off, quote, unquote home run. I don't think apparently the ball didn't go over the fence in Aberdeen, but uh they just called it a home run. They, I, I don't know. You can't see the video, so we're just going to say it was a home run, but you see a lot of late game heroics here from holiday at the high level. That's good to see. I think he's got a couple more weeks, like by August one, he's up in Bowie somewhere around that time frame. He's up in Bowie, spends a ton of time in big league camp next spring. Again, like he did this past spring starts 2024 in Norfolk. And then he's up in the major leagues next year, like by the all-star break or not soon after he is up in the major leagues with the Baltimore Orioles like he's the ceiling is that high he's moving that quick and he's got all the skill sets for the Orioles to be way more aggressive with him than they have with some of the other guys in the past
1: it feels weird to look at him now and think back to the fact that this time last year there was a question of who the number one pick is going to be because he has just outperformed every prospect in baseball and last year it was kind of like oh it's a fast riser he's Matt Holliday's son, he can hit. He has good strike zone judgment. He's really mature. A lot of people like him. But then he got into pro ball, and all of a sudden we're looking at this kid who has the strike zone judgment of a 10-year veteran in the major leagues. And then it, you know, this year it was, well, can he hit the ball hard? So the Orioles showed us he could do that by putting him up against high-quality pitching during big league camp and leaving him up there for most of the month. So I think by the end of March, we knew that Holiday was going to have a pretty special season, but it's odd to think that this time last year that was not the industry consensus at all. No, I mean,
2: you're like, oh, Matt Holiday's son. It's like, all right, cool. Like, (laughs) all right, you have Drew Jones' son also in this draft, and I will fully admit I was all aboard the Drew Jones trade because Andrew Jones is one of my favorite baseball players of all time, Uh, and I wanted his son – and those bloodlines in Baltimore. You know, people want to compare the stats already among these guys. That's not fair to do. I mean, they're all still enormous ceilings. They could all have fantastic careers. Other than you know, Elijah Green, I feel like is the one the Orioles definitely uh, did right in avoiding. I think he's at like a 40 something percent strikeout rate in the low minors right now. He's having a tough go of it, but the Orioles definitely made the right selection here with Jackson Holliday. I don't think there's any question anymore. And yeah, like you mentioned, there's just still just, there's still a big gap. Like I don't even think I have fully comprehended
1: just how good this kid can be in the future. And if you look down the board, I think the other guy that we want to talk, make sure we give extended coverage here to is Judd Fabian. Fabian was a guy that back in 2021 was seen as a potential top 10 pick going into that college baseball season, but then some of the swing and miss concerns that had been there throughout his relatively short college baseball career up to that point really caught up with him. He falls down the draft boards. The Red Sox grab him. I believe it was in the second round of that draft. They failed to sign him. There were reports then that the Orioles were in on him. He goes back to Florida, has a little bit better season. The Orioles were able to nab him in the second round of last year's draft. Using the draft pick that they got from the Marlins in the Cole Saucer Tanner Scott trade. What Fabian has done this year has shown that he could be one of the best finds in last year's draft. Um, went to Aberdeen and batted 281 with an 882 OPS, 13 doubles, and nine homers in 56 games before being promoted to Bowie. Now at Bowie, he is only hitting 229. He has struck out 11 or 18 times in 54 plate appearances. But he's also already hit four home runs. So, across the board this season, he's batting 271 with an 874 OPS, 15 doubles, 13 homers, 21 steals, and 27 attempts, all the while playing an excellent defensive center field. So, Nick, how far has Fabian moved up prospect boards this year in your mind, both with the Orioles system and perhaps nationally?
2: I think pretty considerably. I, I do think they're going to look at the double a numbers early on like right now and say like hey he's still striking out a high clip he's going to have to do a ton to like really kind of you know get people over some of their preconceived notions about who he is as a player which i mean it's it's not rare like you see this all the time i just think he's going to have to really outperform expectations to get that more respect from a national perspective but i mean this guy i think just within the Orioles system is considerably moving up the rankings I'm trying to look at ours and a little bit of spoiler here for he stayed consistent he's still number 11 prospect right now um no see a little bit lower what's our next he's number 11 on my list number 12 on our latest uh update here and there's a legitimate case that i think in my opinion there's a legitimate case that he could be in the top 10 uh on this orioles list um you know he walked two more times and stole another base tonight right before we finished wrapped up recording this apparently looking at Bowie's box score but he's in double a right now he's got a WRC plus of over like 120. i mean the strikeout rate is high but if he can get that down to you know the 25 26 percent range by the end of the year i think he's going to be on the right path we know that was a primary focus of his and for the player development staff this season and he showed big improvements there in high a now he's got to do it in double uh, a and like you said Steal of the draft, I think this could be a tremendous value, at least uh, in that draft. And I think a lot of teams are going to regret uh, passing up on him.
1: Looking at the 2022 Orioles draft class as a whole, what else stands out to you? Good, bad, or maybe uh, just kind of something you're keeping your eye on?
2: Uh, I think Dylan Beavers is a guy that the overall numbers are not what I think many people expect them to be. They're not what I expected them to be. In high A and but we knew he was going to be a project. John Muley came on the show and talked about you know, the overhaul that the Orioles are going to do to swing this year. So to hopefully unlock more of that potential. So we knew this was going to be kind of a year of growth for Beavers. But I did look and a couple of weeks ago, you know, baseball America's updated their top 30s and they put out additional articles that look at like the biggest risers and the biggest fallers in each organization. And Beavers was on the Orioles list for fallers. And the quote there was, opposing evaluators have been unimpressed by Beaver's swing mechanics, plate skills, and lack of defensive value in the outfield. That's tough to read, but since that article has come out, only nine games, uh, he's hitting 297 with a 366 on-base percentage, a 128 WRC+, plus, has a 10% walk rate, a sub-20% strikeout rate, and four extra base hits. And i don't know if it was in this span or just beforehand but he did just rob a home run too uh not too long ago so i would just say like ignore the the noise about beavers and kind of let this player development staff work the range of outcomes we've always said is pretty wide with beavers but that ceiling is high and if he hits he's going to be a really good player uh, for this team and i think the other guy is zach shellwalter uh just you're going to have to talk me off a ledge here with Walter because Baseball America jumped him all the way up to 24 on their midseason update, which was shocking. I, I had to read that like three or four times to make sure like this is Zach Walter. The was 11th round draft pick, 10th round draft pick. High school ranks last year that, that you had 24, and uh, it is. He's only 19, only made three starts in the FCL before they sent him to Delmarva. His first out in Delmarva, he's getting his feet wet. But his last start in Del Marva, he struck out six guys and allowed just one hit in three and two thirds innings. He had 12 whiffs. He pounds the strike zone. I, like, you can't tell me that the Orioles don't have good pitching prospects. Like, Cade Povich and Chase McDermott can be rotation pieces if they can iron out a few things. Carter Baumler, they have guys with question marks. That's valid. But, you know, Carter Baumler, his question mark is he's got to stay healthy. But we were saying last year, Baumler has arguably the highest ceiling in this organization outside of Grayson. So you get him back on the mound, you got Povich, you got McDermott, and Showalter is right there. I think he is showing us rotation upside as a 19-year-old kid. So, yeah, I'm super stoked to continue to watching uh, Showalter pitch now that, now that we get, get our own eyes on him uh, with Delmarva.
1: There was um, – he had his most recent outing in Lindsberg, and Lindsberg has a really good center field camera angle uh, on their MILB TV feed. You were able to see the movement on his secondaries, and I, you know, you almost feel bad for Lindsberg's hitters. They're going up against him. He's got a good fastball. The secondaries are moving all over the place, and it's amazing to me that a guy who is only five starts into his career—that's all he's had—five starts so far—is moving up the way he is nationally. But when you watch him pitch, you can see it. You can see some of the traits where, if you take the time to develop him. You've got a guy who could be in your rotation. I really believe that. I think so Walter has that kind of ceiling. He's far away because he's young. And, you know, as I just mentioned, he's very inexperienced. But the potential for him to be a starter is absolutely there. And then uh, one guy that I'm, like, still trying to wrap my head around, what the Orioles actually have in him as a prospect is Max Wagner. Max Wagner. He was coming into Monday with some numbers that were not very good, uh, hitting just 217 on the year. And that's pretty disappointing for a guy that had a big season at Clemson last year, yet he also has a walk rate that is over 16%, a 110 WRC+. He's hit eight homers, which I think for that environment in Aberdeen is a pretty solid number. And I have no clue what this means at all, but he is 21 for 26 in stolen base attempts after stealing this four bases total of Clemson over two seasons. So I, I don't know, like is Roberto Mercado really, really aggressive on the basis is Wagner much faster than any of us ever realized. I don't know what the answer is, but Wagner can have stretches where he's not getting hit at all. And then he'll pull off about a 10 game stretch where he's the hottest hitter on that team. Um, one thing that's, you know, interesting to note, batting Arizona balls in play for Wagner this year. Uh, I'm gonna set a number over under two seventy-five. I'm probably gonna say well under. Two sixty-eight.
2: Okay. So still lower. Still running into some bad luck there down there in Aberdeen. So I don't I don't know what to think either. Still he's he went on that. He started out with over 21, over 22, and then he went on that incredible stretch. He has cooled off a little bit, but like you mentioned, he continues to walk. That walk rate, 16% walk rate's no joke. The solo base thing, I don't think he's got that kind of speed. I think that's more high-catching slash playing a lot of his games on that turf that's a little bit faster. Uh, if he does, that's tremendous. That adds a whole nother wrinkle to his game. I think he's definitely a guy who you know could steal double digits in the big leagues maybe if he were to get there but i think the 21 stolen bases is definitely a, a statistical outlier there for him i don't know i i'd be curious to get a look at his underlying data and what that says i think he hits the ball tremendously hard i think like we mentioned he's a project pick who cold weather environment not a lot of time in college so he's going to take some time but that's why the orioles like these younger players look at john rhodes i mean, he's. He could be having that breakout just now. And it's his what second year in double A when he's having potentially having this big breakout here for John Rhodes. Maybe we see that with Max Wagner, but I mean, you look at him at third base. I was kind of thinking about him as well. And and saying if Max Wagner can get to double A and start hitting, honestly, like I think it becomes a tremendous trade value. And this is some guy who you look at and say, like, yeah, he's clicking, he's a second round pick, he's finally kind of hitting the stride, checking all the boxes. Some team's going to look at him and be like, yeah, he can uh, maybe not be a headliner, but he's going to add tremendous value to some sort of trade package in the off season, I think not, maybe not this off season, but at some point in the future.
1: And, you know, on top of some of the positives we mentioned, he does play a pretty solid third base. So you're mm-hmm. not looking at a guy that's really defensively limited. I think he can stick at the position in the major league level. It's just going to be the, we know that the bar for third baseman offensively is set pretty high right now. And it's gonna be a question of can he clear that.
2: Yeah, that's you've got Gunner over there. You've got Jackson Holiday who's gonna be on the left side. You've got Kobe Mayo in this organization. Like it's it's tough. You got we're not gonna talk about Cesar Prieto today, but you got Cesar Prieto playing shortstop for the Norfolk Tides, getting four hits, hitting like three hundred something in AAA right now. You've the left side of this infield throughout the organization is It's so deep, tremendously deep. So it is going to be tough for Wagner. Be interesting to see if they start moving him around the diamond a little bit. I don't think he's played really anywhere else this year, but I don't know. We'll see. This is also a good example, though, of a guy who you bring him in the organization, and if it takes him another two years to find his stride, that's okay. Like you, you've got you don't need him up in the major leagues. You don't need him skyrocketing up your prospect list, you just need him developing, continuing to uh, improve.
1: With that now, we'll go into our final segment of the show where we like to shout out players outside of the top 30 part of our top 50 list for something they've done recently, whether it's been a good game, a good week, or maybe there's just something interesting in their stat line that we want to note. Nick has a guy who, um, after the 2020 draft class, we were pretty high on. And unfortunately we haven't seen a lot of him in the last couple of years, but uh, lately he's been hitting the ball pretty well.
2: Yeah. Anthony Servideo, uh, you know, the, the defense coming out of the draft, we knew the defense was, you know, close to major league ready. Uh, one of these guys, but were there, there were still questions about the bat. And I, I remember Eric Longenhagen, I think writing about him saying that he was bought in to the changes. Servideo had some outstanding numbers in that 2020 short season, Against you, know, not sec pitching but you know guys like Loggenhagen were bought in and saying no these adjustments i think they're working for him uh and you know Loggenhagen said at that orioles draft class 2020 draft class that they have potentially six future major leaguers and Video is included in that but injuries have decimated his career and we had some other issues last year as well he's overcome them and we had a comment or a question i think a couple of weeks ago about Video, and, and i said he's not really a prospect anymore Like that's that's kind of done. He was bumped up from low A to double A when there was a rash of infield injuries. And that movement was a clear sign that of how the organization viewed him. But he stayed in double A and he continued to struggle. And I felt really bad for this guy because it felt like they were running him out there in double A where he was way overmatched and they weren't going to move him back down. And he's just getting like abused every night. And it's like before they ultimately cut him. But he's coming off a week where he just hit 333 last week with a 400 on base percentage, two doubles. He got a home run, OPS over 1,000. Expand that over the entire month of June, actually. And Servideo hit 260 last month with a 709 OPS. So, not mind blowing or anything, but a huge improvement month over month since he's been in Bowie. I'm happy to see him put up a big fight there. And uh, maybe there's still a little bit of shine there and he can become. Maybe not in Baltimore, but if he can become something for someone in his career, I think that'll be phenomenal. But um, there's still just, just a tiny bit of shine there with, uh, with Sir Video.
1: Should note, too, that he's full 5 eligible after this season. So if he can put together mm. a good second half at Bowie, that can make things interesting. But I'm happy for him because when you saw him take the field at Delmarva back at the start of 2021, you could see some of the, the tools that the Orioles liked excellent strike zone judgment, great defense, could play multiple positions, but that he's barely been on the field since the start of 2021. And I agree with you. When I saw that he was going to Bowie earlier this year and I saw the way the Orioles were using him, I didn't think that was a good sign for his future. But he's getting opportunities to play, and he's taking advantage of them right now, and that's all you can ask of him.
2: Yep. And i go with my pitcher real quick, too. And uh, I'm going to go with Daniel Lloyd. I know we've mentioned him a couple of times, kind of briefly, but he got the Matt Blood shout out as an under the radar guy a couple of months ago. I think that was that was this past offseason in an MLB.com article or uh, was it a Jake Reel newsletter? One of the two. But uh, he definitely got the Matt Blood shout out. Started the year in Aberdeen's rotation and he struggled. I I didn't understand why they moved him as a starter, but because he showed so much promise as a reliever and it was looking like that switch really messed with him, but Last week, he threw nine innings, uh, did not allow a single run. He walked three guys, but struck out 11. And uh, I talked about this on Monday's Daily, I think it was, but Lloyd has seen his monthly ERA drop from 9.0 to 3.78 to 2.25. The average against and whip have dropped considerably each month. Last month in June, he struck out 24 guys, walked just seven in 24 innings. I think he's back on my radar and just another pitcher down there in Aberdeen who I think you should uh, take a little bit closer look at over the the rest of the season.
1: Absolutely, I'll go with my picks now. I'm going all the way down the Dominican Summer League for my hitter this week, and it is Andreander Mejia. Mejia is a 16 year old catcher that the Orioles signed out of Venezuela back in January, and he has been putting together a nice season, which includes a stretch of four games last week in which he went six for 15 at the plate with five RBIs, two walks to one strikeout. So far this season, he's appeared in 15 games and across 60 plate appearances, hitting 320 with a 109 WRC+. Now, the one that we've said repeatedly on this show is that Dominican Summer League stats, FCL stats also, to a certain extent, don't really tell much of a story. And that's going to be the case with Mejia. But the one that we do like to look at is the walk strikeout numbers. And that is an area where Mejia is excelling right now a walk rate of 11.7% compared to a strikeout rate of 13.3%. He's 16 years old. He's a long ways off, but an interesting start to the season from him. And then for my pitcher this week, I got to go with Cameron Weston again. Weston has now gone three straight outings at Aberdeen without giving up an earned run. And on June 30th, he had a very good relief outing against Winston-Salem delivering four scoreless innings of four strikeouts, one walk and one hit. Weston started the year on the IL and just joined Aberdeen in the middle of June and has been really impressive out of the bullpen for them in a long relief role. He's gone at least three innings in all of his outings so far and right now has struck out 11 batters compared to just four walks in 13 innings pitched this season between the FCL and Aberdeen. And in his time with the Ironbirds, So far, he has 10 to third innings pits, 10 strikeouts against three walks and just four hits allowed.
2: And part of that uh, draft class last year, pitcher out of Michigan, I've been really intrigued by Weston and and what he can do. And talk about Mejia. Here's what you're going to do with the catchers. Uh, You're going to send Mejia up to the FCL. You're going to send Anudis Mordon up to Delmarva. And you're going to send Samuel Basayo to Aberdeen next week. Uh, when the minor leagues are, are on their little extended uh, break, the mid-season break there. So uh, go ahead, Mike, do it. Matt, whoever's in charge of the minor league promotions, <laughs> let's get the catchers uh, rolling up a little bit and get Samuel Basayo up there in a Abel. able.
1: Um, before we wrap up, you said the major league home run derby is boring earlier in the cell. Would it be more <laughs> interesting to you if Samuel Basayo was out there going up against Pete Alonzo?
2: Yeah. I'm watching that. Uh, only because I want to see Samuel Basayo, Julio Rodriguez final. Give me those two guys in the final. Fernando Tatis. Let's expand the final to like four or five guys. Get one Soto in there. Get all these big personality guys up there. But Samuel Basayo, that lefty in the major leagues. Whew, I'm getting too excited thinking about Samuel Basayo right now. We should, we should call
1: it. And with that, we will call it uh, an episode for tonight. If you are still on Twitter, you can follow us over there at BSL in the Verge, but we are also on Instagram and Facebook, so you can check us out there as well. And while you're browsing the internet, head over to BaltimoreSportsInLife.com where you can check in on the latest covers on the Orioles, the Ravens, college sports, and more. And while you're at BSL, be sure to hop on the message board and join the discussion with fellow readers of the site as well as contributors to BSL. Bob will be back with us next week as we recap the Orioles' first pick You're not going to want to miss that. We'll dive deep into the draft as well as any other news that comes up between now and next week. For Bob Failman and Nick Stevens, this is Zach Svedden. You've been listening to On the Birds.
0: That'll do it for this week's episode of On the Verge. Be sure to check out our Patreon page where you can help show your support for the show and get bonus content, including monthly top 50
2: updates to our prospect list and daily game recaps during the season, and much, much
0: more. Breast milk science. It's a thing, and it's our thing. We're By Heart. We're an infant formula company on a mission to get a lot closer to the most super, super food on the planet breast milk. Our patented protein blend has more of the important and most abundant proteins found in breast milk. We're the first and only US made formula to use organic, grass fed whole milk, not skim. We make our formula in our own factories in Iowa, Oregon, and Pennsylvania using a small batch manufacturing process that works to preserve the integrity of our ingredients. We ran the largest clinical trial by a new infant formula company in 25 years and clinically proved benefits like easier digestion, less gas, and softer poops versus a leading infant formula. We were the first infant formula company to earn the Clean Label Project Purity Award. And while we've put a lot into ByHeart, there's a long list of things you won't see on our ingredient list, like no corn syrup, no maltodextrin, no GMO ingredients, no soy, no palm oil. ByHeart, a better formula for formula. Learn more at byheart.com.